0: We indeed are friends of God if we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. If not, God is still compassionate on us, He's still generous to us, but we are friends of God. And we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, the Bible says, and that friend is Jesus Christ who is our Savior. We're talking about stories that change the world. The parables of Jesus. That really changed mankind's understanding to the mind of God and his expectations for us. Last week we talked about the parable of the workers going into the vineyard. We call it the parable of generosity because it demonstrated God's amazing generosity. Today we're going to open our Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter number 20 or chapter number 13 where we're going to look At the parable of the sower. Now we have a lot to cover, so I'm going to get right into it this morning. So open your Bibles and follow along. As it says in verse 1, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. So many people at this time in Jesus' ministry were following him around that oftentimes he had to kind of get some distance between he and them. Because they would want to be healed and they would want all this the miraculous part of his ministry. And so he would have to separate himself slightly so they could just listen to the kingdom message that he wanted to give to him. This is one of those occasions. And he sets out in a parable saying, Saying this. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, a lot of Bible scholars think that possibly Jesus just saw a farmer on the hillside sowing seed. And he might have just turned around and said to the people, Look, there's a farmer sowing seed. And it says, As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Sowing seed was not the science that it is today. People would just take a sack of seed and they'd go out into the field and they'd just start throwing it around the field. In fact, there was a lazy man's way to do it. They would put a couple seed packs on the back of a burrow, cut holes in the sack, and just let the donkey wander around the field until all the seed drained out of the sack. But in this case, the farmer's being diligent and he's throwing seed. Now, to understand this parable, we've got to transport ourselves 2,000 years ago back to Palestine, where all the people pretty much were... In agriculture. That was the main industry of Israel was agriculture. And so these people, most of them were farmers. And so Jesus picked a story that they would readily identify with. A story of a farmer sowing his seed. And so he said some of the seed, because this was not an exact science, fell on the path. The, the landscape of Palestine was dotted with all these vineyards and orchards and, and, and different crop fields. And in between them were kind of right-of-way passages where people would just walk. They weren't paid. They didn't have payment in those days. So wherever the people would walk between the fields, they would follow that path because it was beaten down. It was made hard by all the people walking on it. And said when some of the seed fell on that, it was too hard to penetrate. And so the birds would come and eat that seed. He went on to say, "Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil." Now, this wasn't a farmer who was being careless, just throwing soil a bunch where rocks were. And in Palestine, in many places, are characterized by a very shallow surface layer of soil. That very uh, th- that is underneath that is a large sheet of land of of lime rock, and limestone. And so, not very deep into the soil is this bed of of limestone. And what would happen, as it says, is plants there would spring up quickly, but because there was no place for the plant to root when the sun would come out, as Jesus went on to say, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no deep soil to root in." Jesus goes on, the parable says, "Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants." Again, the farmer was not being uh, lacking diligence in just throwing seed where there were thorns. If a farmer or his workers plowed a field over, getting ready to plant the seed, oftentimes if they had not cleaned out the thorns and the weeds before they plowed the the soil over, the farmer had no idea that they were there and would throw the seed there. But what would happen as things began to grow. Of course, the weeds would grow more aggressively and choke out the the good crop. Then finally, he says, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And so he lists four different kinds of soil, and this farmer throwing the seed out. Hard path, rocky ground, thorny ground, and good soil that could produce a crop. Now, he ends the parable with a very important statement. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Last week there was a very important statement at at the beginning and the end of the parable, and that was this. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And it kind of summed up the entire purpose of the parable. Today, the key phrase is, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, I'm going to get back to that, because it's an important in our understanding, and more so in our application of what we're going to learn today. But last week's parable was about God's disposition towards mankind. And we discovered that it's extreme generosity. Kingdom entrance. Going to heaven after this life is all about God's generosity. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. You could also quote that verse say, by generosity you're saved through faith. It's because of God's generosity that we can have the promise of eternal life with him. Also eternal reward is because of God's generosity. We looked at Psalm 103 that says, God does not treat us according to our sins. He doesn't treat us as our sinfulness deserves. Why? Because God is so generous. And last week's parable was all about how generous God is. This week, this parable is all about man's disposition to God, and we're going to discover it's very different than God's disposition towards man. So, parable, remember, is a heavenly truth. It's a heavenly story That is put into an earthly perspective for understanding purposes. And in the parable, everything represents something. In this parable, the farmer represents God. The seed represents the word of God. But the most important element in this parable is the soil. Because the soil in Jesus' parable represents the heart of the hearer. It's the heart of the hearer. Now, with that in mind, Jesus begins to explain this parable that could actually be called the parable of the healer. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 13, verse 18, He says to His disciples who have come later and asked them, What was this parable? What's the meaning of it? He said, Listen to, then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed along the path. In other words, what Jesus is saying, here's what it means. The seed that was thrown on the path represents that person who hears the message of the kingdom of God, but doesn't embrace it. Now I know he says he doesn't understand it, But the actual connotation is not so much that the message of God is so complicated that people can't understand it, because it's really not. I mean, back in this day, they had the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not steal. How tough is that to understand? Thou shalt not murder. We get that one, right? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. We get that. I mean, they're not hard. The message of God today isn't hard. About salvation. The Bible says that if you... uh, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you're going to be saved you're going to be forgiven for your sins it's not a hard message so the issue is that it's too hard to, it's not the issue is not that it's too hard to understand the issue is that people reject it when they hear it see this is symbolic of the closed heart someone who hears the message of God but pushes it away now why would anybody do that well there's a lot of reasons some people might do it because of religious prejudice they might come from a different religion than Christianity, and when they hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, they push it away because you can't believe that's Christianity. I don't follow Christianity. Even though you could present them all kind of evidences for who Jesus was and, and, and that demonstrate the, the, the power of prophecy and everything in his life, they still, they just because of their religious persuasion, will push it away. Sometimes it could be a social prejudice. To where people say, oh, those Christians, are, I don't want to be identified with them. People look at them as a bunch of losers. And so they push away the message of God because of fear of this relationship. It could also be an unteachable spirit. You know, some people say, you know, don't confuse me with the facts my mind's made up. Ever meet someone like that? Sure, there's people all over. They're just not teachable. So they're not going to embrace the spirit of God. They know it all. Others can be pride. They're too proud to admit they need the message of the kingdom of God. I I can do fine by myself. I'm I'm intelligent, I'm skillful, I'm talented, I don't need religion. Some people can reject it out of fear of how it might impact their life or, or the demands that it might make on their life. Some people might reject it because of an immoral behavior in their life. The light of the gospel shines on the way they're living their life. And they, they know that it's wrong, but they reject the word of God. They reject the message of God because it makes them uncomfortable. That's the hard path. Now, Jesus moves on next in the parable to the circumstantial heart. He says, the one who receives the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. I've got to tell you, in, in my many years of ministry now, I've known hundreds of these people. I've come across hundreds of them. Who will come into church, and maybe they come into church because things are going difficult in their life. Or maybe they come because they're lonely. And what will happen is they'll get into the church, and kind of like we had this morning, there was a lot of excitement this morning. In our celebrations of baptism, and, and there was excitement in our worship, and, and everything is just so exciting to them. People are before church and after church, are hugging each other, and people are accepted. And so they have an emotional attraction to the message of God. And it's all about the hype. It's all about how it makes them feel. But since it has no root, that experience only lasts a short time. See, they only get involved in the exciting part. They don't get involved in Bible study. Now, I think Bible study is exciting, but a lot of people initially think it's difficult and hard to understand. They don't get involved in prayer. They don't get involved in serving in a ministry of the church. There's no root there. And so therefore, Jesus said, when trouble or persecution comes, because of the word, that person quickly fades away. And I've seen it happen hundreds and hundreds of times. Why? Because our relationship with God cannot be merely an emotional relationship. If you have emotion with no firm foundation and understanding of God's entire word, when trouble comes, when trials come, or when you're called to, to to be accountable for your faith, when you're called to be bold in your faith, you're just going to wither away because there's no root there. Then Jesus talks about the divided heart. He says, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it Unfruitful. Oh, churches are filled with folks who have their heart in the thorny soil. But the worries of this life, and sometimes it's actual worry and anxiety that could choke it out. But oftentimes it's more just preoccupation with other things. That's what Jesus is really saying. He's saying, This person hears the word, sounds good, it's exciting, it's hopeful. But when it comes to actually embracing it and making it the focal point of their life, there's too many other things going on in their life. Their life is filled with too many other compartments, too many other opportunities, too many other obligations that choke it out. And Then he identified why that happens, because of the deceitfulness of wealth. See, they bought into the world's philosophy of materialism. They've bought into the world's philosophy of power and promotion. And so they're knocking themselves out, trying to climb the corporate ladder. They're knocking themselves out, trying to buy more things. And their whole life is focused on getting more, experiencing more, achieving more. And they're so involved in all that, that there's little or no room left to really focus and relate to God. God as they hear his word. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, summed up this particular soil this way, To these belong those who hear the word, but do not bring under subjection their flesh. They know their duty, but do not do it. They teach, but do not practice what they teach, and are this year as they were last year. What a vivid picture of what Jesus is saying in this parable. These are people who hear the Word of God and and they understand what their duty is, what God has called them to do, what their purpose is, but they don't do it. They might even teach it. Might be Christian parents who teach their children God's ways and say, This is what you need to do, this is how God wants you to act, but yet they don't embrace that in their lifestyle. It could be a pastor who gets up every week and preaches to the flock, but yet in his own life, he doesn't really put the things he's teaching to practice. Martin Luther said, summed it up by saying, and are this year as they were last year. In other words, there's no spiritual movement in the person's life. The person is as spiritually neutral, inactive, or actually going backwards this year as they were last year, and the year before, and the year before that. There is no spiritual progress. There is no movement in their life. Why? Because other things in the world have choked out their relationship with God and their spiritual growth. John MacArthur, who is the president of Master's Seminary in California, said, A professing believer who is unconcerned about sin in his life, and who does not hate evil and love righteousness, gives strong evidence that the soil of his heart is weedy. Now, finally, Jesus goes to the devoted heart. Finally, some good news. He says, But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He not only hears it, what Jesus is really saying is he embraces it. Again, Martin Luther summed it up so well. He said this, The fourth class are those who lay hold of and keep the word in good and honest heart. They, they accept the word. They're on board with it. And bring forth fruit with patience those who hear the word. Now here's their characteristics. The good soil, the heart that is receptive to God and embracing God, they steadfastly retained the word. David, the great king of Israel said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, David steadfastly retained the word. He memorized it. He understood it. He read it. Today, his Bible would be all marked up with notes. Meditates on it. The term is like a cow chewing the cud. Doesn't just leave church and have the box checked off, but leaves and on the way home. If it's a family talking about it, about what they heard and, and what, the, what the, the Lord impressed upon them that day. And act in harmony with it. Actually make it a practical part of their everyday life. That's the parable. It's the parable of the hearer. It's the parable of the closed heart. It's the parable of the circumstantial heart. It's the parable of the divided heart that's too preoccupied to give God his rightful place. It's the parable of the devoted heart. The question becomes, what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil am I? Now, while you're chewing on that, I don't want to shortchange you, and I certainly don't want to shortchange this passage of Scripture that Jesus shared with us because it's so important. we got to go back to the purpose, remember? That key phrase I told you about? He who has ears, let him hear. That's the purpose of the parable. Now what's Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus is having a really bad day. In Matthew chapter 13. And to understand what prompted Jesus to share this parable, you've got to understand verse tw- or chapter 12 of Matthew. Chapter 12, Jesus starts out with his disciples, and, and after an exhausting day of 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 sharing the kingdom message and healing people and and bringing hope to their lives. They haven't had anything to eat all day. And so they're walking over the countryside and they come by one of these wheat fields and there's some stocks of wheat. So they just start taking the raw wheat off and start eating it because they're starved. And as soon as they do that, they experience an attack by the religious people of Israel saying, it is unlawful for you to do that. Today is the Sabbath. What are you doing? You cannot pick and eat wheat on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, we're starved. There's biblical precedents. David and his, his warriors, they actually went into the temple and ate the food that was consecrated to God because they were going to die if they didn't eat. We're hungry. They left there and they went to the synagogue to teach. And they got in the synagogue and they came across the man who had a withered hand. Jesus saw him. And because God is generous, and Jesus was God in the flesh, he healed the man's arm. And immediately, all the chief priests said, You can't do that today. Today is the Sabbath day. This is the Lord's day. This is a holy day. You can't heal that man. So Jesus leaves the synagogue. And he goes out and they bring a demon-possessed guy to him. And and the Bible describes this guy like a really nasty demon-possessed guy. And Jesus, out of his generosity, has compassion on on his plight. And he, he exercises the demon. And immediately, they're on his back again. And the people are going, wow, did you see that? Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the son of David. And yet, the chief priests and all the religious leaders say, No, 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 no. He's the son of Beelzebub. He's the son of the devil. And the reason the demon left is because he himself is a demon. And they're in it together. They're trying to fool you. Jesus goes on. The Bible says, and he heals all these different people that day. He goes on healing and pouring himself out to the multitudes. At one point... After all this, the religious leaders come back and say, All right, if you're really the son of David, show us some miraculous sign. How humorous, how hilarious is that? Uh, did you see the withered hand? Uh, did you see the demon? Uh, did you see all the people I've healed today? Show us a sign. What was that? Any of you guys out there doing that? And finally, everything is such a commotion. the day, and there's so many attacks on Jesus. Someone comes to Jesus, and he taps on the shoulder and says, Listen, your mom and your brothers, they're calling you. They want you outside. Even they came to try to rescue him because this was such a hostile day. Now, look what it says. Matthew 13, now we're ready for the parable. It says, that same day, after all that had happened, Jesus went out of the house. And again, all this multitude follows Him. And so, it says, Then He told them many things in parables. Now, you've got to understand, this is an extremely significant transition point in the ministry of Jesus when He was here. Even His disciples recognized it. Because later on his disciples come in Matthew 13.10 and they asked him, why are you speaking in parables to the people? See, Jesus up to this time used analogies like your salt and light. The series we just completed. But now he's speaking in parables. And his disciples said, what's going on? Why all of a sudden are you speaking to the people in these stories? Jesus explains. This is why I speak to them in parables, Matthew 13, 13. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Jesus said, they're not getting it. No matter what I do, No matter what I say, they're not getting it. Yeah, they're fascinated and they're entertained, but there's no life change going on. There's no course corrections happening. Nothing's going on. They're not getting it. Then he says something really profound. He says, in them, verse 14, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a key prophet in the Old Testament. He lived 700 years before Jesus. And Jesus says, these people are the fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about 700 years ago at another time in Israel's history when they had rejected God. It was a time of prosperity in Israel during Isaiah's reign. People had a lot of wealth Israel was an economic power of nations. There was plenty of work for everyone, and Israel had great respect among the nations of the earth. Everything was going great. People were buying houses, they had everything. And as their life improved, more and more they began to push God out. They didn't want to hear about the commandments. They didn't want to hear what God wanted them to do and didn't want them to do. They just wanted to be part of the festive times, the celebrations, the emotional highs. They wanted to do Passover and they wanted to to do all, all the fun stuff. They had divided hearts. And God had a very small compartment in their life compared to everything else. And so God's message to Isaiah was this, you will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. In other words, God said, you've gone too far. And at this point in time, God removes His Spirit from the nation of Israel. Judicial hardening takes place, and now even though they hear the Word of God, they don't understand it. Although they see God still working, they don't perceive it. God says to Isaiah, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes to me. Their hearts are calloused. They're closed hearts. They're circumstantial hearts. They're divided hearts. All the things that prompted Jesus to say what he said and teach what he taught in this parable. He said, if it wasn't that way, and they weren't so calloused, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. I would forgive them. I would bless their nation again. But as history records, they did exactly the opposite. And so God removed His protection over his chosen people. And as Isaiah prophesied, the Assyrian Empire came in and ravaged the northern kingdoms. Shortly thereafter, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and ravaged the remaining province of Judah. But God said, if they wouldn't close me off, for one of gentlemen, just an emotional experience. If they wouldn't compartmentalize me, I'd be so generous to them. Because God's disposition towards man has always been generous. But historically and tragically, man's disposition towards God has always been characterized by Apathy. Let's tie it up. Let's bring it home. 21st century. August 21st, 2011. As God looks down at the United States of America today, one nation under God, would His words be, though seen? they do not see? Though hearing, they do not hear or understand? God would look today at Florida Bible Church. Would He say the same? Paul warned that this day was coming, and we are living in that day. Paul warned Timothy, a young preacher protege of his, in his letter to Timothy, a second letter, Second Timothy four three. He said, "For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine." Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And we are witnessing that day in the United States of America. We don't want sound doctrine. Don't tell us what God says. Come on, let's just celebrate God. Let's come and sing songs and let's have festive music and and let's have fellowship. Yeah, God's part of my life. Look at my calendar; I got them right here in red. Sunday morning, eleven o'clock. I'll be there. Back to the parable. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew thirteen seventeen: "For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear." it. Jesus said, "Do you know what opportunity you have right now?" Jesus was saying, don't you know that Moses, don't you know that Joshua, don't you know that King David, don't you know that Samuel, don't you know that Isaiah, don't you know that all these patriarchs of Judaism, don't you know that all these heroes of the Old Testament, don't you know they would love to see what you're seeing right now, don't you know they would have died to hear what I've taught you so far. And think about it. If that was true 2,000 years ago, before Jesus went to the cross, before he conquered death, hell, and the grave, before he had sent it back up into heaven, if that was true then, how much more true is it today? They would have loved to know what we know. They would love to see what we've seen. They would love to hear what we've heard in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, we have such opportunity Matthew 13, 16, Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. He says to disciples, you guys are so blessed. You got blessed because you're not only seeing, you're not along for the show. You've left houses. You've left your occupations to follow me you're not only hearing what I'm teaching you are allowing it to change your life you are so blessed he says to him in verse 11 the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not them not those people out there that's why I'm speaking in parables because they don't have a hunger for God they just want the show they don't have a hunger to serve You guys are different. He says, whoever has been given more, whoever has, will be given more and have an abundance, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He's saying, you guys, you're going to get more and more and more. But them, even what they have, they're going to lose. Now, is God being cruel? No. It's just absolute human logic. It's life logic. If you stop feeding your mind and you stop reading and you stop studying and you stop taking professional development courses or, or going to school or whatever, even what you have learned, you'll, you'll, it'll start sifting out of you. How many remember algebra? Geometry? Huh? Because you haven't used it. But to those who are using it every day, they're gaining more knowledge and it's applicable. And it's benefiting their life. That's the spiritual truth of the parable of the sower. The parable of the hearer. Those who will make it their life passion to be good soil are going to get more and more and more and more more of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are going to be revealed to them. Because they're hungry for it and they have a heart for it. Those who have a closed heart. Those who have a circumstantial heart. Those that have a divided heart, you know what's going to happen? They're going to lose what they have. It'll just sift out, just like algebra, just like trigonometry. Four soils. What kind of soil are you? I don't know, how can I be sure? Well, Jesus gave us a sure answer to that question. He says, the one whose good soil produces a crop. Something's happening spiritually. Change is happening. Progress is occurring. Now, I love that Jesus says, not all of us will have the same crop. He says some will be 60, some will be 30, some will be 100. Depends on your ability. Depends on your opportunity. Depends on your commitment. But what he says is that people who aren't close-hearted, aren't circumstantial-hearted, aren't embracing a divided heart, there's going to be progress. There's going to be growth. They're going to allow what they see and allow what they hear to change them. To set their course. To make a difference. Again, Dr. MacArthur said, we are not saved by bearing fruit or by any other good work, and you got to know that. Salvation is God's generosity. We don't work for it, and we don't work to keep it. But he says, because we cannot bear spiritual fruit or do any good work until after we are saved, but we are saved for a new purpose. We have a new life purpose, and our new life purpose as we've studied here recently, is to be members of the royal family of God, or to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. We're saved for fruit bearing. The ultimate mark of a genuine believer, the good soil, is fruit bearing. He not only hears and understands, but also indeeds bear fruit. Spiritual fruit is the inevitable product of spiritual life. for we're living for God, there's going to be fruit in our life fruit in our marriage fruit at our work there's going to be fruit what kind of soil are you as God looks at your life as God looks at my life does he see a calloused heart See a closed heart? See a heart that's all about emotion? Does he see a compartmentalized, divided heart? Or does he see good soil? Here's what I know to be true from my own Christian experience. I've been a Christian since I was nine years old. And I would love to stand here and tell you that I have faithfully followed God every day since, but I haven't. I've struggled with my carnal nature. And here's what I know. And I remember vividly. And even as I, as I speak to you now, I, the pain returns. I know that when I was living that way, I wasn't living in Peace. I had no joy. My soul was disturbed. My spirit was restless. God's spirit was heavy upon me. And the burden grew and grew and grew and grew until I humbled myself before God, confessed my sin, and got back on the right road. So I know this of anyone here today who has a closed heart. You're not at peace. I I know of anybody here who it's all about emotion right now. Your spirit is not at peace. I know anybody here has a divided heart. And all the things of life have crowded God out. I know even right now the spirit of God Stomping on you because he did me here's the message for you today change direction and I'll heal you God says change direction I'll give your peace back change direction I'll give you purpose again in life change direction I'll take that burden off your back Jesus said come unto me all you are burdened and heavy laden and what what do he say I will give you rest because he's so generous well he who has ears let him hear Father Your word today, I know for some, has been a stinging word. I know how I wrestled with it just preparing to share this lesson. And I'm reminded through parables like this and studies like we've had today, Hebrews 12, that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, it pierces us. And God, that's not a comfortable feeling, but thank you that it does. Because the book of Hebrews says that you chastise those you love and those you call as your sons and daughters. And we know that when we're restless and our spirit is troubled, that's actually good news because the Bible says the Spirit will bear witness with our spirit that we're the sons of God. Right now, i got to believe that there's some restless hearts. And Lord, help us not to look at that as negative, but look at it as positive. It's an opportunity. It's a call to healing. It's a call to forgiveness. It's a call to cleansing. It's a call to joy. And it's all because of your generosity. Lord, I pray right now for my believing brothers and sisters Maybe the one who has a closed heart today. They've been closing you out because they haven't been living for you. And it's painful to be around you. God, I pray right now that they'll embrace 1 John 1, nine, It says, If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God, just as David, after he sinned with Bathsheba, he got honest before you. And he says, And God, you remove the burden of my guilt. Father, I pray for those who haven't developed root in their relationship with you. It's all been about the excitement. It's all been about the energy. And God, right now, maybe that energy is gone because some circumstances have invaded their life that now are troubling them. And and Father, right now, even today, they they wrestled with coming to church and they were thinking of bailing and they were thinking of just getting out altogether because it's not working for them anymore. God, help them to understand that you allow us to go through difficult times because that's when you can teach us the most about how generous you are. God, help them not to bail, but help them to stay and to embrace your word. For all of us, God, help us all to take inventory of our lives right now. And see what things in our life are crowding you out. And then, Father, help us to make the adjustments that we need to make to return you to your rightful place in our life at the very center, the focal point of all the other compartments of our life. God, help us to be good soil so that we can fulfill our position in your family to produce a crop for you. I pray for the man or the woman who is here right now who's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Maybe they've had that opportunity before and they've heard the gospel of how the only thing we can do to be forgiven of our sins is trust Christ. And that if we'll confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, that He's the only way and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. Romans 10. Father, they've heard it before but they've pushed you away. If have closed their heart. God, help them today not to do that. But help them right now to receive you and receive your generosity. And pray to you even right now, God, I want your forgiveness. God, I need your forgiveness. God, I get it. Jesus died on the cross for my sin and there's no other way back to you. There's no other way to eternal life. There's no other way to heaven than through what He did on the cross for me. And so Jesus, today, I ask you to be my Savior. Pay my sin debt. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. God, thank you for your Word. Help us now to not only hear it, but to embrace it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. a moment ago, you trust trusted Christ as your Savior. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you right now, take that connection card out of your bulletin or in the chair in front of you. Make sure all the information about you is accurate and filled out legibly on it. On the back of that card says, My decision today, and one of the boxes you can check is, I trust that Christ is my Savior. I'm going to ask you to check that box. And before you leave, either drop it in one of the offering kiosks or at the Welcome Center. And here's what we're going to do with it. I want you to know what we're going to do. So there's no surprises. We're going to, as a pastoral staff, we're going to pray for you. We're going to thank the Lord that he brought you here and that he softened your heart to where you received him today. We're also going to send you in the mail a little paperback booklet you can read in about 10 minutes entitled, You Can Be Sure. And it will further explain to you what God did for you this morning. So if you'll share that with us, we're going to share with you.